Welcome back to the sound plays of Traversity, Demons and Demigods, book two of A Bridge of Doom. If you like what we provide, please rate, review, share, and follow on your favorite platform. Questions and compliments can be sent to our email. If you only knew the power of generosity... Though listening to these productions is free for you, providing them isn't free for me. We are completely free of advertising. If you care to help, please buy me a coffee for a dollar via the coffee.com website listed with the descriptions of each episode. All proceeds go to the theater and our production material needs. Surely everyone can spare a dollar. Special thanks go to our first coffee angel... Juanita Paz Chalacha. Except those wishing to remain anonymous, benefactors will be announced in the credits. And thank you truly for listening. Step through the gateway and enter the universe of the Harkin Theater. This is Episode 8. This is Book 2 of A Bridge of Doom by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Traversity, Demons and Demigods. The Journeys of an Enchanter. Chapter 8 oh. A stabbing pain in her side awoke Flena from her afternoon nap, oh. followed by a momentary whirl of disorientation. She grabbed the blankets beneath her on the bed, then felt her sides for a knife sticking in them. Oh. Oh. Once the wooziness and the sharp pain stopped, she sat up carefully and peered about the room with wary eyes. Hmm. Her elfin senses warned her of fading presences. She half expected to find Glink curled up on his usual perch on the windowsill, but only the indirect afternoon sunlight rested there, her body tingling not for the first time since Gaewan had vanished from sight in the circle of stones. She sought steadiness by rubbing her face with her hands, then moving fingers along her torso and legs. The dull sensation helped only a little as she caught herself from leaning back against the pillow and drifting back into unwanted sleep. Frustrated, she dug her nails into her skin and scratched herself, shutting her eyes and gritting her teeth until the sluggish nerves came alive along her thighs. 
Again, this seemed to ease the disorientation, but only for a moment. Just as quickly as she had scarred her legs, she found herself moving fingers smoothly and delicately along her bare skin with visions of Gaywan's soothing touch. No! She opened her eyes and sat up on the side of the bed, then stared at the brush still lying on the floor where she had dropped it only hours before in the morning. This will not do. I must find something to occupy myself. Gaywan had appeared before her for a moment. Of this she was certain, yet only a short day had passed since he had departed. Oh, was it today? Two days ago? The sense of passing time was almost foreign. Crabnails. By the supreme, I care not anymore. I just want to feel normal again. Maybe I should talk to someone about this, but whom? A puff of breeze wafted through the window and awoke her with its refreshing scent of spice and bread from the tavern kitchen. With it came an answer. Ab Louie. The priest always seemed to be lending a hand in the kitchens of late, and the tavern owner was only too happy to have his cooking overseen, and no doubt blessed, by a priest of the freethinkers. Satisfied with this thought, the half-elf dressed herself, allowing her mind to wander again as she shook out any wrinkles that dared to trespass on her blouse and skirt, then slid into their softness and cheerful colors. As she smoothed the cloth down her front, she couldn't help but stop with a fog over her eyes and touch her right side tentatively, then look down, almost expecting to see a layer of white, heavy cloth wrapped around her torso as if she was wounded. Seeing nothing but her blouse and sash, she resisted the urge to yank out her hair with frustration, quickly pulled on her boots and dashed out of the room. You are suffering from a bond of love. What? Recoiling with confusion, Flaina frowned to herself, then, in hopes of a further explanation, peered back at the priest. You and Gaywan share an intense bonding of genuine, free-spirited love that flows between you, even when you do not share the same physical space. The power of this feeling, not just the emotion, but the pure divine love is present in and around all things and creatures, much like being in an endless ocean. When you move within this body, sending out waves of love, the energy is carried throughout this ocean, enhanced by all it touches, until it reaches the one for whom it is meant. Thus, no matter how far apart you may be, each of you is always surrounded by the love of the other. But why am I experiencing pain? This is not unusual at all. The longer two individuals are held together by their affections, the more aware each becomes of the other, their experiences and such. This is continually regenerated and enhanced each time you are physically intimate with each other. Through this ever-increasing bond of energy, you each become more sensitive to the other. His eyes fairly glowed. If you are experiencing pain, then so does the enchanter. Worried, she tried to imagine what horrible things has he chosen to face. It is fortunate you can feel these things. 
Frowning with confusion again, she looked back at him. It means his thoughts are constantly upon you. He finds strength through the bond you both have created. He has found his ultimate trust with you alone, Flaina. This didn't serve to reassure her very much, but he had given her an idea. Considering what you've spoken is truth, then this bond allows energy to flow both ways? Yes. He nodded, pleased at her insight. Therefore, I am able to help Gaewon with my thoughts upon him. Precisely. <sighs> Flaina allowed her anxieties to rest as sounds of the street around them brought her into the moment and, for the first time, she took in the day's sights that moved within the market square. A brightly dressed troubadour strummed gentle chords on his lute as he wandered among the merchants, tables, and carts, the rose hue of his scarf and light blue of his sash reflecting the cheerful mood his music weaved in the air. Her senses tired from the strain of keeping grip on the dual world of experiences she suffered, Flaina let her ears drink in the happy sounds flowing from the stringed instrument, closing her eyes and allowing reminiscences to play across her thoughts as she enjoyed the interlude. Suddenly, everything around her stopped and the suns were blotted out. In that flash of darkness, she became aware of faces and feelings she had never seen before. Stunned by the abrupt change and the horrible sensation of plummeting down a bottomless well, she flung out her hands, grasping the first thing she felt and holding on tight until her senses slowed their mad dash from light to dark and back again. Soon, the gentle tones of the troubadour eased her back into her surroundings, and she opened eyes slowly to see that she was hanging on to Ablui's rose. He gazed upon her with great gentleness. Do you need help? I'm just scared out of my wits. I may never close my eyes again until I am within Gaewan's arms and sure of his safety. Ablui tilted his head with a commiserating look. Similar trials of my own lend me understanding of yours. I found that keeping oneself busy with mundane things helps keep one anchored a little more firmly. Similar trials? In my younger days, as an inspiring initiate under the godmen, I found myself... Stumbling would be best describe it, into the other dimensions, close to this world. So much that I frequently lost track of when I was awake or asleep, when I was dreaming and not. At the very least, it can unravel one's stability in the physical shell. Indeed. Come, dear lady. Ablui stood and bowed before her. Let us seek out <laughs> let us seek out Clough and those two odd sized brothers, Thasgar and Gon. The warmth of good friends might bring you back to us. Smiling hesitantly, she stayed her place for a moment. Would my attempts at feeling more normal adversely affect how I might help Gaywon? Chosen one of Enchanter Gaywon. I believe there is nothing in this world that would prevent your help for him, for your devotion is complete. Clough stood alone in a meadow near town, his roan nearby, nibbling contentedly on the sweet grasses and flowers growing tall and bright in the last warm days of autumn. 
The elf stood very still for a long time, unconcerned with the faint sense of growing things, his riding cloak billowing gently behind him in the slow wind that loosened leaves from sleepy trees. What is happening? What? He repeated the question over and over as he wondered at the strange numbness that had been slowly spreading across his awareness for the past day. Somehow, this feeling had stolen over him while he slept, leaving him with a dreamlike consciousness that would not fade, only grow stronger. Gaewon, what are you doing? No answer was afforded him. The gentle munch and tear of his steed pulling grasses from the dirt with its nimble lips brought the elf around and, moving for the first time in a long while, Clough turned to watch. Startled, the animal jerked its head up and peered with great interest at its rider. Remembering his elfin inherentness of blending with forest surroundings sometimes took effect when he remained motionless for a long time. Clough understood his steed's reaction and he gently called to it. Upon hearing this, the roan regarded Clough for a moment longer, then nodded its head and shuffled easily to his side to nudge his pockets. Clough couldn't help but smile, seeing that his habit of giving sweets to his horse had impressed upon the animal, and he responded to the inquisitive nose by reaching a hand to a small sack dangling from his belt, from which he carefully lifted a few twigs of sweet herbs. But before he could offer them, the sweet scent was released, and the roan thrust its head into his hands, reaching with eager lips. Mmm. Warmth blossomed within the elf, enjoying the acceptance of his horse, and he smoothed his free hand across its neck and mane. Indeed, I am of a mind to spoil you. Visha is a good name. A leafy twig broke off and fell into a circle of clover. Clough knelt down to pick it up for his Visha, happily munching away on the first portion. Abruptly, the suns darkened, and beneath him appeared a charred body lying motionless on a hard, reflective floor. In anguish, he bent his face to the ground. The smell of sod and clover enveloped his nostrils, and suddenly the suns were back, warming his body again. The elf opened his eyes, not seeing clearly at first, then dug fingers into the ground and brought up clods of dirt, crushing them in his hands. Kaywan, what is happening to you? To me? Slowly, he lowered his head from the sky and looked around him at the grasses while nearby, Visha watched him. What am I to do? I cannot continue another moment with this unseen agony from you, my loved brother. I cannot be at peace. There must be a way to be at action. The middle ground is like waiting for death amidst sleeping sickness. His sheathed sword hanging from the saddle stopped him. Standing, he pushed his cloak behind him and went to Visha's side, extending a hand to the weapon. Finding it warm to the touch, more so than from just being in the suns, he recoiled slightly, then with determination, gripped the hilt and lifted it slowly from the sheath. If I cannot be there, then maybe this is a way to be with you. Instantly, a myriad of images flitted across his mind, of chambers and people never before seen. Pressure seemed to build suddenly in his head, threatening to ward him back with severe pain. Clough stopped bearing his sword halfway as an unbidden shimmer of chills ran down his spine. 
Strange voices echoed within his skull as more images encircled his mind. And somewhere, a childlike voice wept. He closed his eyes, the pain beginning to beat at his temples, then yanked his sword free, jumped away from his horse, and swung the blade about him wildly before planting it into the dirt. Who cries? I feel you more than all. Who cries? What is wrong? Clough pushed further, expecting to fall unconscious from the raging agony that burned in his temples. The faint hints of a shape touched lightly here and there. Shadows whirred between layers of darkness. Who cries? What is wrong? A pair of large, tear-filled eyes opened for a moment, then vanished. But their empty stare and loneliness captured him. Recognizing them, Clough gaped in fright, hands falling from his weapon, and denied the prediction of his seeing. No. No! No! You must come back! I cannot lose you! Kneeling over, he wept and gained control, wiping tears away with the back of his wrists. Standing with resolve and energy, he pulled the sword from the ground and went to Visha. There, there must be a way. There always is a way. He wiped his blade clean and slid it back into its sheath. I must warn the others. Swinging into the saddle, he tugged at the reins and spurred Visha with his heels. Then, with cloak billowing behind him, Clough rode with fury back to Hopetown. Thasgar talked quietly with a town deputy in the tavern, his friend Gon sitting close by, asleep in his chair, a full tankard of Trisk waiting untouched on the table before him. Both men remained oblivious to their surroundings as Ablui and Flaina approached them from the doorway. Flaina touched a hand lightly on Gon's shoulder as she sat beside him. What? He sat up quickly and glanced around with bewilderment. Is he back? What? What? Upon seeing the priest and the half-elf, they relaxed somewhat, but their mood remained tense as Gon waited for an answer. Flaina shook her head at him, and the dwarf displayed his feelings on the matter by folding his arms and staring disgruntled at his tankard. Don't want your drink, Gon? I do, but I can't taste it. What do you mean? Just what I mean. I can't taste it. It looks good, smells good, but it just doesn't, well, doesn't want to go down. We've both been off our sleep lately, too. Maybe we're getting sick. By my beloved master, we do have a problem here. How do you mean? I have reason to believe that the Enchanter may be in serious difficulty. Flaina has been having problems as well. It seems everyone's strongest feelings and senses are being sapped away. And considering the strong attachment between you all, I am sure Gaewon is the cause, though unintentionally. Uh, what you mean? Gaewon is in trouble, wherever he is. Oh, 
Gan cogitated for a moment before the light of understanding seeped into his expression. Oh, is there anything we can do? I honestly don't know. Quiet befell the foursome as each looked within for some answer to the many questions brought forth by the dilemma that faced their enchanter friend. Only the comforting sounds of the tavern surrounded them, its gentle smells emanating from the kitchen as the brass dragon prepared supper. Clough stood at Ablui's side, his burning stare the only greeting. There must be a way. There must there may be one. The priest touched a finger thoughtfully to his lips. But it would take an amount of power channeling only an enchanter could focus, and a very experienced one at that. Hopeful looks passed around the table for a moment before the obvious infeasibility was realized. Enchanters are rare, Gaewan being the only known one in the realm. What about Trimble? No, he is a mage of great ability, but his skill is in that of magic, not power. He, too, would understand this difference. So, we need someone who can channel power. Or some thing. His hand touched the hilt of his sword. Everyone glanced first at the hilt of silver-wrapped gold, then to the priest whose expression had come alive with thoughts and ideas. Chania mentioned your weapon to me at one point. Gawan holds the matching dagger, correct? Yes. Where is the princess? I haven't seen her or her comrades for the past few days. A ship from her father's kingdom came to the docks in Bell Bay. She was called home to attend her investiture as heir to her father's throne. Interested in seeing the kingdom of Gramont, Derwan and Gibberon went along. Then they are gone. For a little while. Pity. They might have been helpful. Indeed, but they are not here. We alone shall have to attend to the task at hand. He noted the others' attentions were beginning to wander back to their problem. Clough, we need to go back to the stone circle, but with night coming on, we may lose the trail. That won't be a problem. Clough was completely familiar with the area woodland. He watched with curiosity as the half-elf dug her nails into her thighs repeatedly, and he reached down to gently take her hand in his as he lifted her chin to see her face. <sighs> Eyes swollen with tears met his own. I must have him home. I must have him home. Five of them found places to sit in the small clearing among the haphazard mossy stones of the ancient circle. Normally, Clough would have enjoyed being with his tree friends, listening to them as they muttered sleepily about the coming winter, comforted by their far-reaching branches and powerful roots. But this occasion, his thoughts were solely on his love brother. And whatever dangers face him. He looked into his friends' faces. The twilight revealed their feelings. Asgar and Gon appear lost and unsure of themselves. Flaina seems to be in pain from some unseen wound. Ablui solemnly set his lantern aside. Clough, 
Prepare yourself and your sword in whatever way you feel is best for this attempt at power channeling. I must admit I am working from spiritual theory only. In the way of the free thinkers, I remain aware only of the invisible power of spirit. I do not try to predict or control it. Of this I know you understand as well. He turned to the others as they stared disconsolately into the forest. Thasgar, Flaina, Gon, you all must concentrate on Gawain. Try to picture him as clearly as possible in your minds while Clough focuses the sword's power. Understand that what we attempt here is a connection to Gawain through the mystical bond of the sword and dagger of infinity. Such a connection can exist only within a carefully balanced awareness. Any rash motions or thoughts will cancel all efforts. Do nothing unless I speak it. What occurs, if anything, will be by spirit only. It will be subtle, not obvious. Unlike conjuring circles seeking a commune with wandering ghosts, this is only a melding of feelings, not a controlling of spells or entities. Is this understood? He received nods from the mm, others. Right. Clough, please begin. Stepping into the center of the circle of four, Clough unsheathed his blade and pointed it skyward, beginning the dance of love he had learned in his training for use of the sword. His fears and worries began to ebb as he relaxed his mind and allowed the energy of spirit to flow through him. The sensation of endless joy sparked and grew within. He advanced his motions in the dance, holding his free hand palm upward, fingers pointing at the sword's tip as he slowly twirled it around his body while his feet moved in a circle in the leaves. Ablui noted slight shivers from the others as the blade shimmered and glowed, casting a faint yet warm, eerie light on the ring of stones. The channel for spirit has opened quickly, signifying the true latent power of Clough's mystic sword. A distant notion pondered the esoteric secrets of the weapon and how it connected to spiritual energy, something he would have to contemplate later, perhaps, and possibly find answers on the inner. What will it bring us? Suppressing any more random thoughts, the priest allowed himself to be swept away by the wave of divine love that rose within him, love from himself and the others for Gawain. As the pebble is cast into the waters and makes ripples, so the ripples travel until they reach the very limits of the distant shores and reflect back to their source. He silently recited the lessons of his master, the light-giver, Moral, spoken discourses in the pure path of unconditional love for all. Flaina sighed, oh. as if a great weight had been lifted. Mm. Clough's breathing was now deeper and faster as the flow of power increased. Thasgar and Gon, too, responded with full breaths, taken in by the spectacle before them. Ooh. Close your eyes and picture Gawain on your mind's window. Do not force the image. Rather, allow it to form by itself. Gon found a strange image in his mind of the enchanter with very unusual clothing. Something like court dress. And he thought to erase this, but remembered the priest's instructions and allowed it to persist.
Thasgar observed flitting scenes of never-before-seen places and people and an insistent urge for secrecy and battle wariness. Both men felt their bodies go numb somewhat, and Gan wanted to panic. Uh, allow any sensations to run their course. They won't harm you, and these will lead us to Gaewon. Burning pain surged through Lena's body, threatening to send her into a faint as what she had seen earlier repeated itself with more clarity while something warm, like fire, tugged within her bosom, urging her onward. Clough slowed his dance, held his blade pointed to the sky again, his own mind flooded with hundreds of feelings and scenes he could not comprehend. And the child was crying. Where are you? Out of a corner of his memories came a night when they were young men alone in the forest. Clough had been on watch while Gawan slept. His mind had wandered in the night until suddenly he found himself cornered by a poisonous snake. The viper had slithered into their camp silently, perceived him as a threat, coiled itself, and was raising its head just as the elf became aware of it. Caught totally off guard, Clough could only stare in horror, not sure what action would be best. Any movement on his part would provoke a lethal strike of venom-filled fangs. Just as he was about to try calling Gawan's name, a small sphere of white fire shot out of the darkness and engulfed the serpent. It was violently annihilated. He had looked over with relief and shock at the young enchanter sitting up from his bedroll, a cold, fierce light in his eyes, trembling fingers still pointed at the smoldering ash where the belligerent reptile had threatened him. Gawan had only been in his early days of training in enchant and had not yet learned the discipline of the more powerful invocations. Or so they had thought, especially the odd power spheres. He responded to Clough's unspoken question and his own surprise at the sudden spell casting by explaining his passionate abhorrence and fear of all snakes, the result of a past life in another world. He had been a servant courting a girl of noble birth. Such a thing was forbidden by the highest laws of that kingdom. Secretly, they planned to flee in order that they could be wedded in a neighboring realm with more tolerant common laws. During their escape, he was captured by private soldiers sent by her family. No trial or incarceration was provided. He was immediately executed by being thrown into a pit of poisonous vipers. Upon completing the tale, he had curled up with shivers and tremors as the engrams of that tragic life took hold, making him re-experience the horrid death. Clough had spent the rest of the night holding and comforting his friend until the terrible memories were spent. It's all right. I'm here. Why am I reminded of this incident? Is Gawan now in a similar pit of troubles? Through the flashing images he discerned those large, tear-filled eyes staring hopelessly back at him and realized they were Gawans. That night of old death and fear when he had held his love brother until the break of dawn. And like a hand breaking the surface of still water, he sent his feelings through the images to touch those miserable eyes. 
deathless despair screamed back. No! No! Clough dropped to his knees. No, I can't lose you! Vaguely aware of the others watching him with amazement, but he did not care. Awan is all that matters right now. The one friend who had been at his side protected him, loved him like none other. And now he is gone. Like my family, like his family, gone. His vow outside the lost city returned with a vengeance. Never again will anything refuse me my right and those I choose to love. No! No! He jumped back on his feet and with both hands clenched tightly around the hilt, instinctively channeled his wrath through the sword. Uh. From the blade's tip, a thin beam of dim light shot into the sky, an oblong sphere of black appearing. Within the void of its boundaries, far in the distance as if spying it through a portal, there shimmered an intermittent, diffuse, emerald glow. Then he remembered his eyes were still closed, uh. and he opened them to see the others still watching him, except for Flaina, who sat hunched and looking pained. Above him was only the silhouette of the taller stones against the starry night. Indeed, it was the deep of night, for they had been joined thus since the twilight. Closing his eyes, Clough could still see the mysterious gateway and the beam of light reaching into it. In mute question, he looked to Ab-Louis. The freethinker priest merely looked back, yet the answer was clear. Clough shut his eyes and imagined walking through the gateway, his feet treading on the blade-thin white light. Sword in hand, the elf walked the path of infinity, his perception of the forest fading. Diversity, Demons and Demigods, Part 1. Sound plays of the second novel are written, recorded, directed, mastered, and produced by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Copyright 2024. Character voices for Episode 8 are performed by Aridel Hotelling, Richard Hammer, Kevin Norris, Matthew Tunai, Arthur William Bloxham Jr., Julia Catherine Team, and H, the Great and Powerful. The sextology of novels are available through Amazon.com, on Kindle Books, can be ordered at your favorite bookseller, or can be purchased directly from the author. Merely submit a request to our email. The wonderful music for this episode of the Harkin Theater was composed and performed by the ensembles of Evan McDonald, Loka Music, and licensed by PremiumBeat.com. Public domain music performances are licensed under Lieber Lieber Creative Commons. Sound effects and original foley provided by freesound.org, mix kit of Victoria, Australia, Cusp Studios, and the BBC Library.
This was recorded on location in the universe.